Well, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me as always is Brad Hallier. And Brad, it's a kind of post-Super Bowl talk tonight, and we're right on the verge of postseason basketball and baseball getting ready to go. So it's kind of that wild time of year. I kind of call it crossover season, but it's going to be a lot of fun the next couple, three weeks here around Central Kansas. Yeah, you know, we got postseason basketball starting actually this week in Kansas uh, with 1A, Division One and Division Two starting on Thursday. So uh, the madness starts uh, pretty quickly here. Yeah, and we'll uh, – We'll talk about postseason basketball at the collegiate level with the KCAC getting uh, their tournaments going this week as well. But uh, let's let's go back to, uh, of course, we're still basking in the glory a little bit of uh, just now a little bit over a week ago where the Chiefs win a Super Bowl 57, their third overall championship in the history of the team. And, of course, their second in the last four years, rather, continues to be interesting um, – things come out from that Super Bowl win. I thought, uh, of course, um, you're always going to start having personnel moves. We haven't seen that yet, but that will be uh, here in the next few weeks. But we have seen already um, Eric B. Enemy moving on. However, it is not a head coaching job. He's going to be now the offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. But I guess the big difference being he will be calling all of the plays, which he has not been doing. Andy Reid still retains some of that um, play calling ability there in Kansas City. So what do you think about Enemy leaving for a, another offensive coordinator job? Well, I think Enemy kind of saw the writing on the wall, and that's I think he realized that his best chance probably becoming a head coach is essentially to prove himself outside Kansas City. Now, kind of ridiculous. I don't think he got a head coaching position uh, out of Kansas City, but I think the enemy just essentially thought, you know what, this it's not going to happen for me in Kansas City. I need to go somewhere else where I can maybe prove myself. And so one of two things is going to happen to the enemy. Either he does prove himself and within a year or two he becomes a head coach, or this could be essentially the end of his uh, offensive uh, coordinator uh, you know, gig that, that he's been so well-known to have. Yeah, I, I think the big difference, I think the reason he did this is because he wasn't – 100% in control of calling the plays. I think he, right. feels, he gets out from under that uh, shadow of Andy Reid and does it all on his own. And he can turn, you know, Washington into a, a playoff team, maybe win a playoff game or two, then that will get him um, a head coaching job. I think he's already deserving of one, but I, for him, I hate to see him leave the Chiefs, but for him, I think this is a good move. Yeah, it's a good move. And I think that, uh, don't, don't, you know, <laughs> A reservation I do have about him going to Washington is that, um, gosh, you're going into a division where you have three playoff teams, and the Eagles I don't think are going to go away anytime soon as a as a NFC power, and the Cowboys laugh them laugh at them as we might. They're still a pretty good team, and they've made the playoffs what last two years. Yeah, something like that. I, I'm, yeah. at, at least the last two years. So. Um, so I definitely think that uh, – and, of course, you know, the Giants made the playoffs this year. So I don't know. It's um, – yeah. I, 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 I guess it didn't really matter if they make the playoffs or not. He just has to be able to uh, make, make sure that offense is a little bit better. 
Yeah, I think, and I think he will. Um, like you said, it's a tough division. And the Commanders, for quite a while, it was till the last week or two of the season before they were actually eliminated from playoff contention. At one time, they thought it was a, a slight possibility that that entire division would make the playoffs. It didn't happen. Um, of course, they beat up on each other, but um, it, that is what it is. So we'll see how he can do. Of course, that leaves that position open in Kansas City, which I don't know if it's official yet, but everybody says that Matt Nagy is going to be promoted um, to that offensive coordinator position, a position he held back in 16 and 17 with the Chiefs under Andy Reid before he took a head coaching job. What do you think about Matt Nagy going back into the offensive coordinator position? Oh, it's a natural fit. And of course, he's got head coaching experience. And actually, I don't think he was horrible with the Bears. I don't think he was great or anything like that. He may have even been the NFL coach of the year once, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's just a, it, it's, it seems kind of natural for them to make this uh, transition, uh, promote the quarterback's coach and, the, and, and all that. So, But at the end of the day, like you kind of already alluded to, you know, Andy Reid's one who pulls the strings with the offense. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's um, no reason to go outside of the organization. when He's, he's already there. He's, he's been in that position before. I think it makes complete sense. And again, with a- Andy Reid still there, I think that will be um, just fine. Um, another interesting thing, I'm sure you probably saw this, Brad, but there was a graphic um, I saw in the last week that put up um, all-time best winning percentages for quarterbacks when trailing by 10 plus points in a game. Uh, did you happen to see this? I've seen something like that. And I want to say that there's nobody over 500 in the history of the NFL except for Patrick Mahomes. Well, Tom Brady's winning percentage, again, this is when trailing by 10 plus points was 371. And Joe Montana was right behind him. I don't, I don't know if I wrote down the exact right one. I think he was like 364, 368, somewhere right in that neighborhood, just behind Brady. Mahomes' winning percentage is 584 when trailing by 10-plus points. Basically means he wins about six out of every 10 games that his team trails by 10-plus points. I mean, it is by far Brady's second. I mean, that's, that's over 200 percentage points better and Mahomes is from two Hall of Famer, well, one Hall of Famer, one lock to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, obviously, in Brady. That 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 almost blows your mind that he is that good and that calm. I mean, we always called him Joe Cool, Joe Montana. Um, how cool is Mahomes? 200-plus points better than Brady in that winning percentage. Well, and I think uh, another stat is only four times in Super Bowl history as a team come back from double digits to win tom brady's got two mahomes has the other two yeah they did it of course against the 49ers uh, three seasons ago so i thought that was <laughs> incredible it just you just never feel like um you're out of a game when he's back there even if he's not 100 percent healthy which he proved here in the postseason again on that bum ankle um they win the super bowl um, a lot of courses, uh, props have been given to the offensive line. You and I talked about how well they played. I think another one, um, kind of in the shadows, you don't think a lot about this, but I also saw this about their general manager, uh, Brett Veach, that on the active Super Bowl roster this year, Brad, 20 of the last 22 draft picks that Brett Veach has made for the Kansas City Chiefs were on that active Super Bowl roster 
10 of them were rookies. Two of them scored touchdowns in the Super Bowl. Um, that, that I tell you what, that is exactly what a GM's job is, is to assemble those draft picks and build a winner. And um, I don't think Brett Veach is getting near enough credit for what he has done with this franchise. Well, he also, uh, in fair, in, sl- in very slight fair- fairness to that, is that he did have a few dud of drafts. Uh, but boy, this last draft seemed to be really good. And more than that, Scott, the capital that he has right now to work with. I mean, they got what twelve draft picks coming up in the draft. Now, they're, they- not, they're not going <laughs> to have all twelve. That that that's obvious. But there are few commodities in the NFL more precious than draft picks. And with 12 draft picks, you know, the wheeling and the dealing and all that is going to happen. And, you know, I, we, we could sit here all day and try to say what the Chiefs' biggest need is. Uh, but, man, uh, if, if, if you're a, an NFL team, AFC, AFC West, I mean, you just got to be throwing up your hands right now and said, I don't know what we, we, we can do about the Chiefs right now. Yeah, I saw that graphic that you're talking about, how many draft picks they have in this upcoming draft. It's amazing how much. And, and, um, and again, I just thought that, you know, he, he deserves to be mentioned. Like you said, and everybody's going to have some misses in the draft. It's just um, the nature of the beast. But, boy, I tell you what, to have 20 of the last 22 on that active Super Bowl roster and then a, a secondary full of rookies. And then, of course, they're talking about, you know, Pacheco and Sky Moore both have touchdowns. In the Super Bowl, poof! I tell you what, he he's on a hot streak. Hopefully, as you mentioned, um, that Car- Carloftis too, and Carloftis. Yeah, I mean, holy moly! Uh, hopefully, that'll continue on. But like you said, they can. Well, with that draft capital, if you see where you really need somebody, you know, maybe somebody gets hurt in OTAs or, like you say, depending on who you lose in free agency. Well, that draft capital, you could sure land some high profile um, players for those positions. So again, Brett Beach um, doing a fantastic job with the Chiefs. And the other thing, uh, and I think we knew it a little bit, Brad, but Patrick Mahomes talked a lot about Juju Smith-Schuster since the Super Bowl. Apparently, Juju, after that AFC championship game against the, the Bengals, he couldn't walk on that the knee that he injured. I mean, he could put no weight, nothing. He could not walk. And Mahomes credited him. He said, every time I went into the trainer's room, every day he was in there getting extra therapy, extra work to get that knee um, to where he could play. He really credited him with um, just giving it everything he had just to get on that field and then to play like he did. I think think that shows just how much that meant. Of course, that's his first title. How much that meant to him and meant to this team for somebody to be injured like that and to put in all that work and then play at that high of a level. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I, how about a shout to the Chiefs athletic trainers, huh? Ooh, I mean, they, had, they, they worked overtime in the postseason, didn't they? Oh, my gosh, to get Mahomes ready, Schuster ready. You know, think of all the guys that were banged up. Kelsey. All, Kelsey, all the receivers that were out. You know, Justin Watson didn't even play in the AFC championship game. Kadarius Tony. He left, and look what he does in the Super Bowl. Um, oh, my gosh, yeah. This, the training staff there in Kansas City, they they, they pulled off, I think, a small miracle in a way. <laughs> yeah, it just uh, uh, it, it just tells you how important, you know, it's, it's, it's not just the talent you have on the field when you have a championship organization. I mean, yeah, are the Chiefs going to be winning 
two Super Bowls in, in, in four years and make three in four years without Patrick Mahomes, without, uh, without Kelsey? I mean, probably not. Uh, but they don't get it there without a great staff of not just coaches, but personnel as well. Yeah. yeah. And another small thing, if, if people, and I haven't watched it for a long time, but if you're a Saturday Night Live fan, you yep. can get a little bit more Chiefs on March 4th as none other than Travis Kelsey will be hosting SNL on March 4th. I, I got to see, uh, did you happen to see him on Jimmy Fallon? <laughs> I saw some clips of it, yeah. Yeah, he was. Uh, he, he actually did some karaoke there too. The, of course, the Beastie Boys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. very. It was, it was a riot, but he's uh, he's having fun as, as they should. They should enjoy this for a while before they um, get into the um, OTAs and all of that coming up. So, just thought we needed a little bit more uh, Chiefs talk this week, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more news coming up towards the draft and when they make decisions on uh, potential free agents. Well, let's stay with the football theme, Brad. We talked a little bit last week about the XFL opening weekend, um, which was this past Saturday and Sunday. Did you happen to catch any of the games? Oh, I had uh, I had it on yesterday uh, on Sunday for background noise. I, I peeked up a little bit. I saw some of the uh, oddities that they had, like the kickoffs, uh, the conversions after touchdowns. So uh, uh, I think you can – Instead of an onside kick, I think it's what you get fourth and fifteen from your own twenty or something like that. So twenty-five, yeah, yeah. So I, I I did see some of the oddities, but I mainly had it off of background noise. Well, I happened to catch the second half of the St. Louis um, San Antonio game. The the Battle Hawks they had one of the best fall fan followings um, in the previous incarnation of the XFL, and they were playing a new team, the Brahmas. Um, St. Louis trailed this game, Brad, and we're going to talk about these uh, some of these unique rules um, that really made this a fun finish. St. Louis was down fifteen to three with about five minutes to go in the ball game. They make a drive and they get a touchdown in with about a minute twenty four left, so that makes it what fifteen to nine. Well, in the XFL, Brad, there's no kicking of extra points. If you want to go for one point. You have to run a play from the two-yard line, get in the end zone. If you want to go from two points, it goes from the five. There is a three-point conversion in the XFL from the 10-yard line. So, of course, St. Louis thinks, okay, get a three-point conversion. We're within a field goal. They get it. Okay, so now it's 15 to 12. Your choices on a kickoff, of course, normal kickoffs, Brad, occur from the, I think it's the 30-yard line. The opposing, the kick team lines up at the 35-yard line of the return team. And the, the return team, every all 10 guys line up at the 30. It's either the 35 and the 30 or the 30 and the 25. And then there's one return man back. You cannot kick it into the end zone, or that's a penalty. So you have to kick it in the field of play. And none of the other 10 players can move until the return man catches the football. I love the way they do this, Brad, for the simple fact of we don't see kick returns in NFL because all these kickers from the 35 are just blasting it into the end zone and you come out to the 25. That's pretty good field position. This cuts down on the injuries because you don't have these high-speed collisions because everybody's up there and you can't move until the returner catches the football. But yet it makes every 
return a potential of a big play. So I kind of like that. But to get back to the St. Louis game, your choices, you can onside kick from, I think it's the 25 or the 30-yard line, or you can take fourth and 15 from your own 25. So, of course, St. Louis in this situation, out of timeouts, takes the fourth and 15. They get it. And then they end up going down with about 18 seconds left. They get the game-winning touchdown, and they, they scored. I think they had scored three points in the first was a NFL game, 60 minutes. They, in the 58 minutes, first to 58 minutes, they scored three points, and in the last two minutes, they scored 15 and won the ball game. And it, I know it's some unique um, rules. But it made it fun. And the crowds that I saw at all the games, I turned on the evening game. There was a pretty good crowd there. It seemed to be received really well. And, and I, I think I really liked what I saw, especially these unique rules. Yeah, some of the – I'm not sure if I liked the one, two, three point conversions after touchdowns the way they had it. Uh, I like the kicking factor, especially in the NFL from the 35 or, you know, it's a 35 yard kick. As we've seen with Bucker, it's not an automatic kick anymore. <laughs> um, I don't know if I like a three point deal, but there is one thing I do like about some of these unique rules. And that's the fourth and 15 play from the 25 yard line. And here's why I like it, because we know damn well that Patrick Mahomes is going to convert that 50 percent of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so if uh, if if. I know the NFL, I talked about it at one time, maybe go, trying that. And, you know, maybe they, they bring it into preseason games or something like that, um, you know, to kind of play around with it a little bit. But, heck, I, I tell you what, if they bring that into the NFL where you can go for it on fourth and 15 anytime after a kickoff or after you score, uh, heck, opposing teams may never see the ball when they play the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I and I'm sure they've done the, your homework and I haven't seen the percentages, but you have to know that converting a fourth and 15, you can do it at a higher rate than an onside kick that everybody knows is coming. What, what's the conversion rate on those? It's somewhere around what, four or 5% or something. I'm not sure what, it, uh, I think in, in, in NCAA football this past year, I want to say it was like 21%. Uh, wasn't very high NFL, probably even, even lower than that. So yeah, especially since they got rid of the uh, the uh, high bounce on the first kick that you know has to bounce twice now, I think, before you can re- recover it. So yeah, it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if the NFL tries adopting it. It's like I said, I wouldn't mind to see, seeing maybe them do a couple of these in preseason. I wouldn't mind seeing the way they do the kickoffs, Brad. I get, I get tired of watching um, every kick go in the end zone and come out to the twenty-five because we all know that uh, punt and kick returns. Um, can be the, some of the most exciting plays in the game. I would love to see something that kind of uh, reinstitutes that and um, a unique way of doing it. But again, the reason they did this in the NFL was to cut down on injuries. And with the 10 guys on each side not being able to uh, take off and go at one another, and they're only five yards apart until the guy catches it, kind of like it. So we'll, I guess what I'm saying is I think I'll, I'll, I'll try watching a little bit more and see if I can uh, – get into it. It'll be on every um, weekend. Well, actually, they're going to have some Thursday night, uh, at least one game this week. So uh, it, I would encourage you to, to check it out one time. It, w- it was a fun, certainly a fun ending um, to a football game. And St. Louis uh, sure pulled one 
out of the fire. Well, of course, we got a lot of basketball talk. Let's uh, we were actually recording on a Monday night, Brad, and we just finished up the KU game and KU has positioned itself here in the last week back on top of the Big 12. Actually, right now, probably a half a game in front of Texas due to just defeating TCU 63 to 58. That is two days after Boy, what a tale of two halves against Baylor. They were down, was it 13 at halftime to the Bears? And then they end up winning by 16. So a, a 19, excuse me, 29-point turnaround as they beat the Baylor Bears 87-71. And then way back earlier last week, beat Oklahoma State on the road 87-76. It kind of seems like KU has put things back together after that losing streak. And lo and behold, um, everybody's kind of writing them off, and there they are, right back atop the Big 12. Yeah, Bill Self's kind of mastered the art of Big 12 play, and here's what I mean by that, Scott, is sometimes, you know, you see a team like K-State get off to a hot start, then they kind of run out of gas, and that's, I, I think they righted the ship a little bit with that win they had on Saturday, but, um, you know, I, Iowa State was up there, and here we are. They're, I mean, they're still, if you include tonight's games, uh, if, or if you go back before tonight's games, there were still four games left in the Big 12. I mean, that's that's a significant amount of games still. You, you have a lot of movement still. but uh, And and there's still five, uh, let's see, what, five teams within two games of first place. But, you know, Bill Stone has just man, ma- mastered the art of getting the team through conference play. You know, there there is no – it's just one game, essentially. Every every game is just one game to Bill Self. It's, there's not one game that carries more weight than the other. As a matter of fact, he, I think he said it pretty well after the win over Baylor. He said – now we can start talking about winning the Big 12. He said, now we're in that position where we can start thinking about winning the Big 12. And, you know, he doesn't, you know, when Kansas lost to K-State early on, you know, there's a lot of talk of, hey, is K-State going to win the Big 12? And I was just almost like, no, I don't think they are because I think they're shooting their wide too early here. Um, same thing, same kind of thing with Iowa State. I, I think that the three best teams right now, Kansas, Texas, and Baylor, at the top of the Big 12. And that's not a coincidence. Now, is, is it going to stay that way? You know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, Texas has uh, some pretty tricky games coming up, Scott. They got Iowa State at home tomorrow on Tuesday. Then they got back-to-back road games. Get this, at Waco and at Fort Worth. And that's not before, exa- not that's exactly before they hit the KU. Yeah, not exa- yeah, and then they finish with Kansas and Austin. But I'm telling you what, if Texas isn't careful, it could, it could be already wrapped up by the time uh, Kansas uh, heads to Austin because Kansas' next two games – Admittedly, there is no easy game in the Big 12, but when you're, you know, I'd rather play Texas Tech and West Virginia in these next two home games than uh, Baylor and K State. Uh, they said of the contenders, right towards the top of the conference, KU actually has the easiest schedule, um, certainly easier than Texas, you know, as far as winning percentage wise. So I, I think they've positioned. They certainly positioned themselves nicely. Uh, I wouldn't say they played a great game against TCU, but um, a win on the road in the Big 12, Brad, you, you take it, get out of town, and and be happy with it. Yeah, I think we can just kind of swap the, the games that uh, KU and TCU won against each other. And by that, I mean, okay, so, yeah, Kansas lost at home, but the, so did TCU. And really, that's something else that Bill Self has done. You know, at, at worst, at the very worst, Kansas is is, is uh, Kansas is going what eight and one at the worst in Big Twelve play at home. That's the absolute worst that they're going to be. And chances are, the team that beats them at home, Kansas is going to beat them at their place. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you think? 
what do you think you've liked the most about KU during this um, win streak and maybe what um, kind of sticks in your head that uh, they need to maybe improve on this to, to really make a run in the postseason? Well, you know what? It's easy to point the finger at Grady Dick, who's been shooting lights out, or Dewan Harris, who's been scoring more and, and has been very assertive with the ball. I'm actually going to go with depth, Scott. Um, you know, Ernest Uday has really come off the bench and started doing some good things. You know, playing 10 minutes a game, you know, sadly getting get, getting a lot of fouls in the process. But, you know, he, he's, he's playing with energy. He's blocking a shot. He's getting his steal. He's scoring a couple of points. Uh, he's grabbing a couple of rebounds. Uh, you know, then, then you got Bobby Pettiford and Joe Yesu coming off the bench and doing some good things, taking care of the ball. Uh, yes, who had uh, a very good game against Oklahoma State. So uh, you're seeing them add a little bit of depth. MJ Rice got, is, is starting to come around a little bit, you know, playing five to ten minutes a game. And, you know, he had a big basket tonight uh, with about ten minutes left. So I, I think that's the thing that's seeing out to me right now, Scott, is depth. Yeah, and then in the bench, um, any bench is going to be so critical to any of these teams get into postseason. So that'll be something to – to keep an eye on, but yeah, you got to like what you're seeing at a KU again, right now, a half a game ahead of Texas. And then KU has back-to-back home games Saturday. And then I think it's Tuesday, the following Tuesday against West Virginia and Texas tech, and then finish the big 12 regular season week from Saturday at Texas. So that'll be interesting to see if the Jayhawks can win yet again, another Big 12 title. Again, all KU games can be heard on 94.7. Well, we mentioned, Brad, it is officially a postseason basketball time for the KCAC. The tournament's men's will start on Wednesday and the women's will start on Thursday. So the kind of the week in review before we look at the tournament bracket for the Sterling College Warriors, we knew the Sterling women Coming into the week, they'd already wrapped up the regular season title. How would they perform um, against a couple of teams that probably weren't going to make the tournament, but both games were long road trips? Well, they went last Wednesday to Avila and got out to a 17 to nothing lead with only two minutes gone by in the first quarter, Brad. They put on that. I can't even really describe it to you. They have a half-court trap that they kind of they morph it depending on how teams try to attack it. And they get Wilson or Schultz with those long frames in the middle of the floor. When you get somebody pinned against the sideline, the tendency is to go back to the middle of the floor. They get so many steals. They raced out to a 33-15 to lead at the end of the first quarter en route to an 83-51 victory. Um, the usual suspects had big games. Taya Wilson, 19.7 rebounds. Bailey Albright had 16. And listen to this floor game from Carson Schultz. She had 12 points, six rebounds, five steals, six assists. Um, she just is an incredible uh, leader. And she can play one through five. Um, she's 5'10, 5'11. She can play any position on the floor. They follow it up on Saturday, play the Eagles again, this time at Oklahoma Westland. And uh, after a close first quarter, they get out to a 17-point lead at halftime. Albright hits a buzzing buzzer-beating three. And 86-53, Brad, it wasn't that close. They led that game by 40 um, at one point in the fourth quarter before pulling everybody out and winning 86-53. Schultz um, really got on track, 22 points. Taya Wilson, 18 points, 
15 rebounds, four assists, and Albright had 18 points as well. So um, a little sloppy against Avila. They had 23 turnovers, played a really, really good game against Oklahoma Westland. So they, they, they put the hammer down and are looking good heading into the tournament this week. Yeah, I really like how they've just been pretty steady all throughout uh, conference play, especially uh, since 2023 started. Uh, no, no hiccups, uh, really. And correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, they really haven't really come close to a hiccup, have they? Oh, not since December. They had a couple of close calls against uh, Bethany and Friends. Uh, there was a yeah, one, look at, two point yeah. one win there, but after that, not really. I mean, I'm looking at their schedule, and you know, they beat Tabor by eight. They beat. Bethel by 11, then beat K-Dub by 10, but I'm not sure if any of those games were really necessarily close in the final minutes. Uh, you know, there, there, there's two kinds of 10-point wins, Scott. There's a 10-point win where you're up two with 30 seconds left and you just hit a bunch of free throws down the stretch, and there's a 10-point game where, where you're up by 18 with two minutes left, and the other team just kind of makes it, makes it cosmetic at the end. So, uh, yeah, I think that's just been the most impressive thing, just how steady Sterling has been. Uh and I think that's just uh, uh, the kind of program that Coach Bassett has built is just, you know, just steadiness. You know, they, they, they don't really beat themselves is uh, probably the best way I can describe it. Yeah, you're, we're on. You're, you're going to have to. But yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. You're, you're going to have to beat them they're, because they're not going to beat themselves. Yeah. Um, and we're on a little bit of a record watch. Taya Wilson, I, I just got this updated today. Um, she's been chasing the all time rebounding record of Mika Wildstra um, at Sterling College. And right now she is 34 rebounds away from tying Wildstra for most all time at Sterling College. So um, if you figure if they can get to the tournament championship game in the KCAC, that would be three more games. You're assured one national championship game in the national tournament that would be four games, Brad, where you'd have to average um, about eight and a half rebounds per game. And I had it around. I believe Taya is averaging about right at eight and a half to nine rebounds per game. Um, so that is going to be very, very curious to watch to see. They were actually kind of keeping tabs with me on Saturday. They left her in a little bit. And, and when the trainer asked me, how many rebounds does she have? And I said 15. And then they took her out but I think they're going to try to allow her to, to go after this record um, to a certain extent. I mean, if um, they get way ahead in one of these tournament games, I'm sure that they, you know, they're going to rest her and pull her out, but um, it's incredible. She's uh, she's got a chance to get to maybe fifth or fourth on the all-time scoring list. She's already uh, top 10 in steals and block shots. It's, it's just been a, it's, it's pleasure it's been a pleasure to watch it. I think we're going to see maybe a little bit more fireworks before she's done. Yeah, it's a, it, that's a pretty cool deal also. You know, it just kind of – especially a local kid like that too, you know, to go to the school that, you know, she was around her whole life pretty much. And uh, it, it's just a neat deal, and I don't have any doubt that she – if she doesn't break it, I would be a little on the surprise side. So, and like you said, there's no sense in putting her in there in the you know, last two minutes of uh, – of a 30 point win, but you know, maybe, maybe in the fourth quarter of a 20 point game, maybe give her an extra couple possessions to see if she can get an extra rebound up there. 
Yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll see how they handle that and how she comes out. So the the tournament bracket, the Sterling on the one seed, that uh, the women they'll start on Thursday, and they'll take on the eight seed uh, McPherson, who they they blew out at home, struggled a little bit on the road, still won by double figures. Um, if they win that game, they would get the winner of the four five matchup, Tabor hosting St. Mary. That is an intriguing game. St. Mary is really playing well. Um, I think that's a that's almost a toss up for me. Um, if Sterling wins, if they would play Tabor or St. Mary a third time, of course Tabor, the only team to beat the Lady Warriors, and that was way back in November in the conference opener. Sterling's won 21 straight conference games. And the other side of the bracket, um, the two seed Bethany and the seven seed Friends, and then the three seed Kansas Westland and the six seed. Ottawa the semifinals at the higher site seven o'clock on Saturday evening and then championship Monday um, for the two finalists um, the two seed so crucial Brad in, in the KCAC because if Sterling would be able to win their third straight tournament championship the second automatic bid in the KCAC goes to the regular season runner up so bethany is certainly going to be rooting for sterling to get to the championship game if, if they could also get there because then they know they would be in win or lose so um, it's going to be a fun tournament to watch yeah and i kind of like how they put the emphasis on the regular season there instead of getting into the tournament uh, runner up if sterling would win so i uh you know keith ferguson obviously had a great season up there and uh i i know how how big it would be for him how important it would be for him uh, if they could make it to the national tournament. I know that we as media people were kind of supposed to be kind of neutral and all that, but I've known Ferguson for several years and he's such a good dude. And, you know, if I, if I'm rooting for anybody uh, to make it other than Sterling, it's definitely going to be uh, uh, Ferguson's Bethany team. And, and the, and the two automatic bids and, and there, there will not be an at large from the conference. I can, I can pretty much guarantee you that um, we'll both be guaranteed spots in Wichita. So that is, huge to be close to home when nationals begin well let's look at the men's side of things brad it's it's continued to be a struggle for the sterling college warrior men they were nine and six at one time in the conference they finish up 10 and 12 go one and six down the stretch uh, a big injury to will thigpen and, and and it's looked brad, a lot like a team that's just kind of run out of gas um they lost 70 to 63 at avila and then 82-73 at number one Oakwood, Brad. It was not that close when Oakwood started pulling everybody out. This was a 20-point 20, 20 game, but give uh, credit to the Sterling Reserves that came in. They, they, they got it cut down to, to single digits, but um, it's it, again, it's, and coaches alluded to it, it, it just looks like they're tired a lot of the times, kind of like the, the season has got to them a little bit. He's tried to play um, more players off the bench, the only trouble is sometimes it's a challenge to score um, when the starters out, are not out there. Um, so he's he tried to find a balancing act down the stretch. Um, it, it, it's been tough. Um, the Avila game, they kind of that was back and forth. There was some runs. Avila makes the last run in that game. It certainly was winnable. Darian Reed had a big game with 21 points. But we knew going into Oklahoma Westland, if you didn't rebound, you, you were going to had no chance because they're so good. I think they averaged 13 and a half offensive rebounds per game. They out rebounded Sterling on the offensive glass, 16 to two. Yeesh. 
and uh, 21 to four and second chance points. And the minute you saw that happen and, um, and Oakwood, they're, they're legit. They're a legit top five, top 10 team in the country. Um, it, it was just, it was a tough schedule to end the, the regular season. Um, I don't know if they can summon energy somewhere to pull off an upset in the tournament. I mean, it's still been a successful year from where this program was. Just um, kind of feel like this, the winds come out of the sails a little bit. Yeah, and that and and that that happens, especially when you got maybe a young, inexperienced team. Uh, you know, a, a transitional year, so to speak. I mean, some of these guys may not, uh, you know, have the full full understanding of how much of a grind the KCAC can be. Uh, I've likened it to the Jayhawk Conference and JUCO or Big Twelve in basketball, where you play so many games. Uh, it, it it it's tough. It's a grind, but uh, heck, uh, you know, you're just one. One one good one good performance away, you know, from uh, you know having a pretty special uh, postseason. Well, they're capable of it, and as we look at the tournament bracket, um, the one seeds Oklahoma Wesleyan they'll host the eight seed Ottawa Sterling ended up as the seven seed. They're going to go play at number two Kansas Wesleyan, and tough matchup. I mean, uh, Kansas Wesleyan put it to Sterling pretty good twice. Tough to beat a good team three times. We'll see uh, the three-seed Bethel hosts the six-seed York, and the four-seed Southwestern hosts the five-seed Bethany. Yes, I think it goes without saying, certainly have to play by far their best game of the year, uh, maybe even a little better than when they beat Southwestern at home um, to knock off Kansas Westland. I, I believe it's possible, but, well, I tell you, they're going to have to find some way to slow down. K-Dub is loaded with athletes. They can score fast. They run a lot of guys at you. And I tell you, Tony Monson's teams, they defend. They make you work hard to score. So it'll take a, I'm not going to say a perfect game, but a near perfect game for um, the Warriors to pull that upset. Yeah, I mean, Randy Singh's got a history. I mean, the last postseason he coached in, uh, his his uh, Blue Dragons at Hutch in 97 got clobbered twice in the regular season by Butler. And what do they do? They saw Butler again in the Region 6 Finals, and his team won. So uh, there's definitely some precedence. Uh, you know, and look, Randy's a good enough coach to figure out uh, ways to potentially slow down uh, Kansas Wesleyan. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, players got to make plays too. Yeah. Uh, here's hoping history repeats itself as far as uh, Coach Stang is concerned. Um, and I really feel like this men's side of the bracket, I think it's going to come down to Oakwood and KW, but don't count out Southwestern and Bethel in there, the three, four seeds. Um, they could make a run. Bethel has a win over Oklahoma Westland. Um, Southwestern, I've seen them twice as well. They're loaded with athletes. It could be, it could be a lot of fun on that side of the bracket. And again, that Sterling men's game is Wednesday at 7, our pregame 6.40 on 95.9, and the Sterling women at home on Thursday, again, 6.40 pregame, 7 o'clock tip on 94.7. Bueller plays on Thursday, so the Lady Warriors over on 94.7. Well, let's go into some high school basketball, Brad, is there for most teams, the regular season will conclude on Tuesday evening, um, there's a full schedule up at adastraradio.com on the sports page. Um, couple, I know one intriguing matchup that we do not have is going to be in girls 
uh, 1A, Little River and Central Plains are going to face off. They're in the same substate. That that bracket is already out. Little River gets the bye. That is huge in that seven-team substate, but they're going to play a really good Central Plains team. What do you think about that matchup Tuesday night? <laughs> he got the eight-time state champions in Central Plains across three different classifications, I might add. And if it weren't for COVID, it might be nine state championships in a row. Uh, boy, I, I wrote kind of a short preview for uh, about 1A basketball for uh, at AsherRadio.com. And <laughs> are, are we really going to write off Central Plains? I mean, we're, we're, not, we're, we're not doing that, are we, Scott? I don't count them out of that. Uh-uh. And uh, are, are we going to count out Little River? Are we going to count out Pretty Prey, the defending 1A Division One state champion? Uh, this is just unbelievable, Scott. Uh, what 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 a substate and uh, you know Central Plains and, uh, and and Little River. I mean, this is kind of like a dance, isn't it? You know, kind of dancing around one another this Tuesday, just just kind of see what what each other has. I mean, you look at who Central Plains has lost to this year: Breen Academy, Phillipsburg, Sunrise Christian Academy. Oof. I mean, there's there's no bad losses in there. And again, this is a program that's won eight straight. For all intents and purposes, almost nine straight state championships. So, uh, wow. Uh, it definitely will give us a taste of potentially of what's to come. But you're right. Uh, a, a big job by uh, Little River getting that number one seed and avoiding as long as possible Pretty Prairie and Central Plains. Yeah, well, the way that'll set up is Pretty Prairie and Central Plains could very well meet in the semifinals. Um, Two defending state champions. Yeah, two defending state champions. Little River would get um, potentially Fairfield. And I feel sorry, bad Fairfield girls. What a season. I think they're 14 and five with one game remaining. Their best season in recent memory. And they get stuck in this juggernaut of a sub state. Most likely winning. If they win their first game, I think they're favored pretty heavily to. Um, then they'd have to play Little River. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so Little River, that, that was huge, getting that one seed, because then Pretty Prairie and Central Plains got to beat up on one another before they would play potentially Little River, so that was huge. Yeah, and uh, Fairfield, uh, gosh, no cakewalk in their first game. They got to play 13-7 and seven St. John. Yeah, it, it's no guarantee that it's going to be Fairfield and Little River. It could be St. John. I'll be over there for the boys' opener. Um, Maxville got the one Little River is the two seed. They seem to be on a collision course in that substate. The other one I wanted to look at, Brad, and this is so intriguing because I, I ended up uh, switching over and doing El Celine Sterling games this last Friday night. So I got to see the uh, Sterling boys again. And I'm looking at this loaded substate over in Sterling. And this is intriguing. Ellenwood's locked up the number one seed. They're, they're 18 and one, one game remaining. And here's where it gets tricky. Inman is 16 and 3. Mound Ridge is 16 and 3. Sterling is 15 and 4. Inman is at 16 and 3 Bennington on Tuesday night. And lo and behold, Mound Ridge is at Sterling. Sterling has beaten Inman by one point this season. They have the head to head on Inman. And obviously, somebody's going to win the Sterling Mound Ridge game and Mound Ridge has beaten Inman twice this year. So you could see Sterling say Bennington beats Inman and Sterling wins. 
Sterling would leapfrog, I believe. I know it's a three-way tie, but they would have beaten both Mound Ridge and Inman. I think they could leap to the number two in that situation. That is intriguing because I just looked up Inman's schedule, and they have to travel to 16-3 and three Bennington. That is going to be a couple of colossal matchups on Tuesday night to decide the, the two, three, and the four seeds in that sub-state. I think if you're in that sub-state, uh, at, at the end of the day, the semifinals, it, it's a wash, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't matter <laughs> if you're playing Ellenwood, Inman, Mountain Ridge, or Sterling. But here, here, here's the big, the wild card in this whole thing, Scott. Avoiding Remington in the first round. And Frank, heck, Scott, whoever the three-seed is, you got to play Berean Academy. Mm-hmm. And, if, gosh, Berean just beats, I think, Illyria Christian. One of the top teams in 1A Division Two is that right? Let me look at this quick. Like, yeah, they just beat Illyria Christian by four. Um, I know it's not the the traditional Berean Academy team, and my goodness, I'm, I'm glad it's not because then you would have a, a, another great team in there. Uh, and heck, Hutch Trinity six and thirteen. They're 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 not bad either. So, but but I do think that the the key there is to avoid Remington, coached by uh, by Clint Kinneman. So if you can avoid Remington, you maybe have a little bit more manageable for a first round game. But um, but yeah, the those semifinals that might be one the, the four teams that make it over to that semifinals in Sterling that might be the best collection of teams in a semifinal in the state of Kansas. It, it very well could be. It's it it's a shame, but uh, you know, on the broadcaster side, <laughs> whoever's over there covering. Um, those two uh, semifinal games, and oh, I'm hoping it's me. Um, <laughs> you're going to be treated to a state championship caliber games in sub-state semifinals. There's no, there's no no other way to say it. That's just yeah, absolutely. Yeah, call it's call. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, it's just really unbelievable the caliber of basketball that that Sterling sub-state is going to have. And you know, we've already said it's not just there. It's you know the Little River Girls sub-state, uh, the Lions. Uh, boys substate uh, has some uh, quality. The girls substate has some quality teams. So, yeah, it's gonna it, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, I was just gonna look up. You mentioned the Lions substate. While we're looking here, let me pull that up. How about the Halstead girls on Friday? Yeah, the Halstead girls ended up uh, defeating Haven. Uh, Haven. Yeah, that was a big win for them. I have the boys bracket up right now. Let's look at that right now. Uh, do Heston and Haven, do they finish with one another, or did they just play one another? They, they, they just played last week. Uh, Heston swept a couple of really close games. Okay, so they have the tiebreaker. They're both 18-1 and one going into the final night of regular play. Cheney, 14-5, and five, and Anthony Harper, Chaparral, 10-9. and nine. But, boy, I tell you, that, that could be an interesting matchup. But, again, the difference between the one and the – the one and the two there is you would have to play Cheney in the second round. If you're the two seed, assuming they would beat right now would be a matchup against Halstead. So that that's an intriguing sub state as well on the boys side. It's fairly top heavy. You think one of those top three teams will make it, but uh, I think that's a, that's huge to get the one over the two there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we look at even on the girls side, uh, you know, Cheney, the top seed and, Heck, the way Halstead – I'm telling you, Scott, watch out for the Halstead girls. Now, we've kind of said all year that they're kind of uh, maybe a year away, and that's still fair to say. But let's look at their last six games, shall we? They have – they're 4-2 and two in, the, in their last six. They beat Pratt by 17. 
They beat Larned by 18. I know Larned is maybe not the strongest team, but maybe the most impressive thing to me have been their losses in these last uh, six games. They lost to Heston by nine, and they lost to Hillsborough by three. Then they clobbered Lions, and then they beat Haven. I'm telling you, watch out for Halston. I, I agree, because the way they play, it's kind of controlled chaos is the way I like to talk about it. They, they press. Um, they run all over the floor. They'll take chances. Yes, they do give up some easy baskets, but they're gambling that they're going to get maybe a couple more easy baskets off of steals, and they just keep coming at you. And those teams, um, they have some rope to take threes, to take some unorthodox shots, especially Dominique Schutte, but she can make them. That's the thing. Uh, and teams like that, that, that work that hard, that press like that, if, if they get a little hot, they can beat anybody on a given night. Right, and uh, it, it wasn't a fluke that they beat Haven. I mean, they, they were the better team in that game uh, all throughout. I think Haven had a spurred momentum late in the second quarter. Uh, boy, that's, that, that's going to be a tough to out this year, and, boy, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch next year. Yes, they should be. And this, uh, again, the postseason will begin Thursday and Friday with the quarterfinals in 1A, and then everything will get going next uh, week from this Monday, Monday and Tuesday, and then we'll get that full schedule out on Ad Astra uh, probably at the end of the week because everything will, I think, come out. Uh, I think it comes out after tomorrow, doesn't it, or on Wednesday? Yeah, uh, 3A and 2A will come out on Wednesday, and 4, 5, and 6A will come out on Saturday. That's right, because there there's some games still yet on Thursday in 4, 5, and 6a so it gets it's going to be a lot of fun I, I love i'm psyched up i'm ready for postseason basketball uh one other topic i i saw this week brad and it uh i don't know what to think of it is uh there's always seems to be hints whispers behind the door dealings of expansion in college sports and the most recent one uh, has to do a lot with our conference, Brad. The Big 12 potentially looking to expand to 16 teams. Um, the latest rumor being that the Big 12, of course, uh, Texas and Oklahoma will be in the Big 12. There actually will be 12 schools for one year next year. But after that, um, they're talking about potentially adding uh, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado, kind of the um, western or eastern lying teams that are currently members of the Pac-12. Of course, UCLA, USC heading off to the Big Ten, and a lot of due to some strange dealings with TV contracts and stuff. A lot of people think this might be the beginning of the end of the Pac-12. Of course, the Big Twelve is going to be no more. What was that, Brad? Just six or seven years ago, the Big 12 was going to be gone as well. So these are all rumors and everything. But what would you think about the Big 12 becoming a mega conference and adding those kind of uh, perimeter schools to the conference? Well, the latest one I heard today was Oregon. Oh, is Oregon now in one of them? I just heard that right before the KU-TCU game is that Oregon was kind of uh... – not really in the mix as much as that. Uh, evidently, they they have contacted the Big Twelve about potentially expand about potentially joining. So, uh, you know, these things they, they they go dormant for months, and then all of a sudden, boom, you get you get a ton of movement in a short amount of time. Uh, 
I, I, I wouldn't object because when it's all said and done, it's going to be 12 teams again in the Big 12 when Oklahoma and Texas leave. See you later. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Uh, I, I, you know what, Scott? I wouldn't object to maybe seeing the two Arizonas and maybe Colorado and uh, like an Oregon join again. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't be a, a, a objecting to something like that. I do have to correct myself. There'll be 14 teams in the Big 12 next year. Um, with yeah. Tech. yeah, I, I misquote, mis, misstated that, but um, uh, not a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan. I hate mega conferences. You've got conferences where there's no way you can play everybody in the conference. Um, I don't like it. I do not like it. You would have teams from the West Coast to the East Coast, and I know that's what the Big 12 wants. They want to have nationwide coverage. I hate it. Um, I miss the the old Big 12, the old Big 8, where it was regionalized. All the conferences were regionalized, and now we got teams. UCLA and USC, really, in the Big 10? <laughs> give, me, give me a freaking break. Uh, it, it just doesn't work for me. I mean, I – they say it's progress, Brad, but I, I just see it as one more step to uh, – I'm not even sure one more step to what, to oblivion, I guess, that we're just going to um, completely eliminate any of the smaller schools from even being in a discussion. It's just going to be these three or four 16- to 20-team conferences, and that's all we're going to talk about. Yeah, it seems to be that's kind of the way it's going, unfortunately, for some of the – you know, for some of the fringe schools, like maybe an Air Force or something like that. Uh, but uh, I think the Big 12 also understands that losing Oklahoma and Texas from a branding standpoint, not necessarily a competitive standpoint, but from a branding standpoint, uh, could potentially hurt them in, in the long run. And I think they're thinking, OK, now if they can maybe go get an Oregon or an Arizona, that kind of helps the the, the marketing and the branding a little bit. Uh, I hate it. <laughs> uh, like I said, and, and it, it could, it, there may be, no, like you said, it's all rumors. You know, Gonzaga, as a basketball member over, only, has been uh, rumored as well and talked about. So we'll just, uh, we'll go with the rumors and we'll report any facts when they do, when and if they become available. And then everything may just stay the way it is. Doubtful, but it could. Um, that's the gist of our regular topics this week, so we can move on to your final thoughts. All right, Scott. Well, um, you know, one, one of the best stories in Kansas high school basketball this year has been, without a doubt, the Hutchinson uh, High School Salt Hawks. Uh, if Brian Miller, not well, not only uh, should the, he be the 5A Coach of the Year, but if there's any kind of uh, consensus Coach of the Year, I'm sorry, no one else really deserves a vote. I mean, what he has done, in a short amount of time, going from one and nineteen uh, in the nine, in the eighteen, I, I don't. He wasn't the coach that year, but in the eighteen nineteen season, Hutch goes one and nineteen. Then they go to state the next year, and now they're undefeated at eighteen and zero. And I preface this the final thought by saying there's a lot of basketball still to be played. Hutch plays Derby this week. Uh, that won't be an easy game. Uh, I think they also play Newton. They shouldn't have any trouble with that one. But um, just kind of want to bring something up here. So, again, much to be decided. Topeka Highland Park on the east side, ranked number one, undefeated. I think they're pretty much locked into the number one seed on the east side. And assuming that they would win substate uh, would probably be, at worst, the, the, the two seed. 
But let's say that for a second that some of these seeds are, are, are holding or will at least be close. How would you like to see in the state semifinals, potentially, in Class 5A, which I believe are where, – where would that be? Is that the Expo Center in Topeka, or are they still hosting that at all? Uh, state 5A? Give me just a second here. I'll get that for you. Yeah, I should know this. Darn it. I should as well. Uh, we don't really cover a lot of 5A. That was uh, uh, White Auditorium in Emporia. Actually. Oh, that is Emporia. Okay. So how would you like to see a potential match, this matchup, in the 5A state semifinals in boys? And again, there's so much basketball to be played uh, with, with some tough games, not just for Hutch, but other teams as well. But we can dream a little bit. We, we can talk a little bit about this stuff. Hutchinson against Capem. That'd be good. Why would that be good, Scott? Can you think, of, <laughs> can, can you think about it? Uh, Steve Eck, wouldn't it? Brian Miller against Steve Eck. Hutchinson High School against the guy who made a, quite the living for uh, over a decade in Hutchinson. Winning a national championship. I cannot begin to tell you how much fun I would have. to. to <laughs> I, I wouldn't actually be there because I'd be broadcasting probably 3A. But, boy, I tell you what, what a story that would be, wouldn't it? Uh, currently, Capen is 17-1, and one, and they've actually got a pretty tough schedule this week themselves. they got to play Wichita Heights, who uh, who is actually the only team to have beaten Capen this year. So, And then right behind Capen is Andover. At sixteen and two, so there's 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 all kinds of stuff that could still happen. Uh, that we could see all kinds of shuffling still of standings uh, across across the state. You know, the DeSotos on the east side, they're seventeen and two. So it may not even be in the realm of possibilities when it all shakes out and we get to the state tournaments. Uh, but uh, uh, heck, uh, Brian Miller would probably get really ticked off me for even mentioning his team at state <laughs> because uh, heck, they they may have to be a Great Bend or a Hayes just to get the state or a, God, or a Goddard Eisenhower who are all over 500 right now. But again, we're in the media. We can talk about this kind of stuff. We can have a little bit of fun with it. And I'm telling you, man, that would be one of the biggest storylines in Kansas high school basketball in years to see Hutch High playing Cape and coached by Steve Eck, who coached Hutchinson Community College to a national championship. It would be. It, that, that would be. And that's what you live for. You live for things that come around like that. I mean, he had something like that in the Super Bowl a little bit, how, how much success Andy Reid had with the Eagles, and now he's coaching against them and, and winning a Super Bowl against them. It, it's, 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 it's just like that on a little bit smaller level here in Kansas. But, yeah, that would be, that would be a lot of fun. I say that Brian Miller wouldn't be very happy with me saying that. You know who else wouldn't be very happy with me saying that? It's probably Steve Eck. Steve Eck. As a matter of fact, if he hears this, he'll probably text me, Brad, what are you talking about? Don't say stuff like that. <laughs> well, my, my final thoughts a little bit along the same lines as we talked about postseason basketball um, is upon us with the KCAC tournament beginning this week and then uh, 1A substates Thursday, Friday, and all the substates get going the next Monday, Tuesday in that range. I just want to encourage everybody if, if you're a, if you have a, a friend, family member, acquaintance, or you're just part of a of a small community that just um, loves your school, loves your community. I encourage you to get out and go to, it looks like weather is going to be fantastic for the next couple of weeks. Encourage you to get out and attend one of these games and support your teams. If, if you've never been to a sub state semifinal or final night, 
um, especially some of the matchups we've talked about, you know, at Sterling, which could see state quality games over at Little River. Uh, get out and experience it. I mean, for me and you being a broadcaster, there's not a better time of year to be at a game than when everybody it's that lose, win or go home mentality. The season can continue. It can end tonight. Um, dreams are made. It's It's just – it's so much fun, the energy and the crowd, and it gives us energy. And it, it, if you've never been out to that, I encourage you to get out this year um, and, and, and root for your favorite team and just, just experience it. It, it. I think especially at the high school level, it's, it's unlike anything else you can experience, um, especially at a little bit of the, the smaller communities. The places are packed, and it, it's just an unbelievable atmosphere, and I encourage everybody to be out there. It's, it's my favorite time of year. It really is. Well, first of all, if you can't make it, uh, tune into your local radio station if they're covering the game. I know NFHS may have the option, and I certainly don't want to tell you how to spend your money or anything like that. But you know you, where you don't have to spend money on? Listen to your local radio broadcast. And at Astro Radio, you know, nobody covers more than we do. So if you, if, if you can't make it, tune into your radio station. But more than that, Scott, you talked about how it's your favorite time of the year. You know what my, one of my favorite nights to broadcast is? Is that sub-state semifinal night. And it would be for, I guess, uh, for, 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 1A, for 1A example, I think the girls would be next Thursday. And that's one of my favorite nights. And I'll tell you why. Because not only is it, you know, when and you get to – to prepare for a sub-state championship but there's also that kind of just I, I don't know kind of like the little romanticized feeling where you get an extra day of practice now you get one more practice potentially before you get to state and kind of like the first day of state you know that wednesday you win you get the day off and i i, I just love that sub-state semifinal night where the winners get a day's rest they get to go home they get to practice once again they get to go maybe sit in the sands and watch the boys play uh next week so i th- that that for me is my favorite night yeah, those are good nights. I mean, um, we don't have any better crowds um, for the KCAC than we get in, in the tournaments. You know, the ladies will be hosting. Um, that'll be raucous um, gymnasium. Th- those are so much fun as well. So, uh, again, if you can get out and support your local team, um, it's it's really an experience. It's a fun time. It's affordable um, get out and do it. And if you can't, yeah, tune into us. We'll, we'll, we'll bring you that energy home, um, through your radio dial, but I encourage everybody, um, to get out in the next couple of weeks and enjoy what we love doing. So again, uh, we'll be back next week to uh, talk about everything. We'll have all the substate talk, all the brackets will be officially out and we'll talk about the, uh, KCAC, championships as well but for tonight's view from the press box for brad halyer this is scott hogan god bless we'll see you next week